0: Oh man, I'm feeling good I'm feeling good Welcome back everybody to another episode of Waylow.tv. Today on the show We have Lexa Doig And that is particularly fucking cool Also, we have a musical performance From the Chuck and Turduckins. That's a country rock band from Detroit, Michigan I can't keep a straight face Let's go over to Happy in New York Meet up with our host, BJ
1: Mendelson.
2: Alright everyone, quiet on set please In 5, 4, Three,
1: two. I'm here with Lexa Doig. Lexa, thank you so much for joining us. On what are you working on?
2: My pleasure.
1: I'd love to ask you the uh, so yeah the title of the show is What Are You Working On? What is it that you like to tell us about?
2: Absolutely nothing. I mean, <laughs> it's funny because um uh where I, like I when you asked me to be on the podcast and I realized that it's What Are You Working On? And I'm like, I'm an actor. I that's always up in the air in terms of of course. Sometimes you're working on something, sometimes you're not. And last year was a particularly busy year for me and not necessarily in a good way. So I'm actually really happy to be not working on anything right That's now. That's awesome. And um it's it's really nice. Like my son had his um end of hockey season banquet last night. And it was like years obviously because of COVID. But also even without COVID, there's a lot of those things that I miss out on when I'm working. So it was kind of really nice to just sit there and be around you know, people who are not in my industry, no offense to anybody in my industry, but it's always nice to kind of be around people who are not in it. Um, and it, I realized sort of looking around the room, how nice it was to just kind of have this sense of normalcy again, where you can just not work, like just celebrate your kids playing hockey and, you know, slapping around a rubber desk on the ice.
1: Well, they're only going to be this age once.
2: Yes, and it was for my son, he's 16, and so he's in the first year of like a three-year age group, and for the kids that are kind of graduating from that age group, it was really kind of um, a little melancholy. A lot of the boys that my son played with that are kind of graduating from that age group, the U18 age group, uh, formerly known as Midget, and thankfully they've changed the name of it, because I think that's an appropriate thing to do. (laughs) It was melancholy because I'm looking at these boys that I kind of know a little bit because my daughter, my uh, middle daughter is friends with some of them. um, And she's, of course, graduating high school this year. So it's actually really nice to be around for all of the, you know, these graduation parties and these, you know, things that my kids are going through. It's really nice.
1: Let me ask you over the past year, was there one particular moment that stood out to you as something that you were just really happy to, to be a part of?
2: In the past calendar year?
1: Yeah, with, with your family, like this this time of just being with them. Was there something that you are like, I, I'm really, really happy I would say to see that?
2: Oh, Christmas. Like Christmas, this past Christmas. We're not a religious family at all to us. Christmas is very much a time of just being uh, with family and um, spending time with family. Although my husband, my mother's Filipino Roman Catholic, so she's quite religious. And she sent me years ago um, a crash like a, a nativity scene which I have no attachment to outside of the fact that my mother gave it to me. And of course, I've taught my children the origin of, you know, the, the Christian origins of Christmas, but we're not really a Christian family. My husband, who's an atheist, has taken it to a whole other level where he's... And it started organically because my son, we have these traditions at Christmas time. My son, when he was a toddler, had taken a Darth Vader... Um, ornament off the Christmas tree and put it in the creche as one of like the characters. So my husband took that and it kept happening year after year. Like one time my son was like kind of playing with them and Scooby-Doo and the gang were in the creche. So my husband has now taken it to this whole other place where he builds backdrops. And it's like last year, what did he do? I can't remember what he did for the creche last year, but he, like he did Indiana Jones one year. His aliens one, I think was my favorite where the baby Jesus was under. He built this whole platform. We got, you know, the the queen and Ripley in the mover thing and protecting the baby. Like it was just whole thing. So that's stuff like that is the stuff that I'm really happy to be around for.
1: Hey, no, that's amazing. Like that, <laughs> oh my God, that's gotta be like a riot to see every year. So that's-
2: It's very uh, funny. The kids get really involved. They're like, dad, what's happening with the crush this year? So it's very funny.
1: Now, if you, now, since the kids are getting a little older, are you, do you, are you, do you want to steer them away from the entertainment business? Do you want to like, what what do you want them? What would you like your kids to do after after high school? Like-
2: kind of whatever they want to do. I mean, it's interesting because my my eldest Tatiana is an aspiring director, and she's already directed two short films, one of which won a bunch of awards uh, in Europe and stuff. It was so good. Um, and so she, but she, she's sort of experiencing that thing. I think that happens with a lot of young people when they start out, it's fantastic. Not knowing what you don't know, right? Like that's actually a a superpower. I think a lot of young kids have that us olds have to maybe like keep our mouths closed a little bit sometimes because it does give them the, the necessary arrogance, um, to take on the world sometimes you know what life will inform them soon soon enough what they don't know. (laughs) We don't always have to do it for them. Um, And I think she's kind of entering that phase where she's starting to discover what she doesn't know. So it's, it's becoming a little bit more challenging for her and my other two kids, my middle child comically um, just played a younger version of me um, (laughs) in a Hallmark whale that I did. And she hasn't really expressed much of an interest in acting. The part was kind of written for her because Um, I co-star with Candace Cameron Bure and her daughter, Natasha is an actress. So Jim head, who's our writer and executive producer decided to write these flashback scenes with our characters when they were teenagers. And he got our daughters to play the teenagers and Mia, my um, younger daughter did such a great job and she's naturally really good at it that she's considering doing it just to save money to go to university. (laughs) Which is great. I love that. I love that she's kind of has it in this perspective of, I don't necessarily want to pursue this as a career, but if I can make some money on it. However, you know, that's to any actor that really wants this. It's a bit of a fuck you when uh, a kid whose parents are actors can just kind of walk into it and go, yeah, I think I kind of want to do this. (laughs) Right. And then our son is 16. He doesn't really know what he wants to do yet, but I definitely know when he was a, a small child, he He would spend his days in character as like Steve or Joe from Blue's Clues. Or my favorite was the great and powerful Oz. He was Oz all day long, (laughs) blindly ordering people around. It was great.
1: (laughs) When you were their age, did you, did you know what you wanted to do?
2: Yeah. I always wanted to be an actor. I always wanted to pretend to be other people or just be other people. I think I wrote my first play when I was six. It was a strawberry shortcake play. I was very proud. Nice. Yeah. It was a a big hit with the kindergarten set.
1: What was that moment when you realized that this is the life that you wanted like when you were little, like, was there a light bulb moment or was there just something you saw that said, I want to do that?
3: Hey there, boys and girls. It's your old podcast pal, Ralph Garman here, inviting you to invite me into your ear holes five days a week with my podcast, The Ralph Report join me eddie pence steve ashton and the rest of the happy lunatics that make up the Garmy for as little as 15 cents a day and for that you get five shows a week filled with music and jokes and news and history and just so much good stuff that you're going to be glad you chose the ralph report how do you listen well it's pretty simple Go to Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, slash The Ralph Report, and sign up today. There's four amazing levels of subscription that you can join, each one with their own special bunch of benefits. So, check it out. Listen to me, Ralph Garman, on The Ralph Report. Patreon.com, slash The Ralph Report. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Harriman Herald Radio Show. I'm an artificial intelligence using a dead guy's voice for a comedy routine. You can call me Paul Shackman, a name I found randomly in the phone book. It's a very interesting name. How does one become a shack man? Do you need to build a shack or would renting one be enough to earn you the name? Did Paul's ancestors own a lot of shacks? Who did they have to kill to acquire them? How many victims are there? And where did they bury all those bodies? The world may never know. We only have time this week for one story. So we go live now to Nancy Diamante at New York Stewart International Airport. Nancy.
4: Thank you, Paul. I'm here at the Pull the Plane event taking place at what was once known simply as Stewart Airport. The event has attracted over 350,000 visitors, a number previously unfathomable to the organizer of the event, Harold Murray.
3: I don't understand it. I thought maybe we'd get 100 people, maybe 250, tops. But 350,000. We're going to need the National Guard to straighten this situation out.
4: The trouble began when Harold posted in the Harriman Library's Facebook group about why he wanted to organize the event.
3: I said, I'm suffering right now from a deep existential dread. My country has been taken over by large corporations. One political party, the Republicans, are racist, crazy and anti-woman. And the other, the Democrats are corrupt and always act to benefit the corporations when nobody is looking. I vote. I organize. I donate. Nothing changes. Nothing I say or do matters. So, I'm just going to get high and pull an airplane around with my teeth. Who wants to help make it happen?
4: Can you tell us what happened next?
3: Yes. Well, as you can tell. I'm not capable of pulling an airplane around with my teeth. I'm 57 years old and have a hernia. That's pretty clear from my profile photo. Or so I thought. A lot of people liked and commented on the post. When I told people I wanted to hold an event for a local charity. And not actually pull an airplane around with my teeth. The post exploded from there.
4: What made the post go viral?
3: People thought I was kidding about the charity part.
4: Really? Everyone thought you were serious about pulling an airplane around with your teeth.
3: That's right. And every time I tried to back out of it, people just kept escalating it from there. Someone who saw the post found a Boeing plane at the airport that the company forgot about. Another man had a surprising amount of bungee cord that probably warrants a visit from the state troopers. To top it all off, New York Stewart International is rarely busy. Unless you want to fly to Iceland. So despite my best efforts to call it all off, the event just kind of came together. So I said, fine. I'll do it.
4: What was going through your mind when you said that?
3: Who's going to drive to Newburgh to see a 57-year-old orthodontist get high and pull an airplane around with his teeth?
4: About 350,000 people.
3: Nancy, I am freaking out right now.
4: And you're not even high?
3: That's correct.
4: Are you going to go through with it?
3: I'd look like a real asshole if I didn't.
4: This is Nancy Diamante for the Harriman Herald.
3: Thank you, Nancy. That's all the news from Happy Harriman New York this week. We now return to What Are You Working On with B.J. Mendelson. Already in progress.
2: I think it was more like I love the idea of pretending to be other people because I I think, in retrospect, I didn't know it at the time, but I didn't like where I was. So, and I think you'll find a lot of actors uh, have, let's just say, troubled pasts, not necessarily overly traumatic. I think in some cases they probably are traumatic, but we're all a little weird. Um, it it kind of takes that to, to to join this profession or to pursue it. Um, I don't think there was ever a light bulb moment. I just don't ever remember a time that I didn't want to do it. And when I was a kid, though, I mixed race and I was, I was born in 1973. There wasn't faces like mine on television. So it wasn't really something that I... I consciously thought that I could pursue as a profession, something that I wanted to, but I just didn't have a roadmap. And I don't know anybody in the business. Um, I mean, I do now, but I didn't then. So in terms of trying to get into it, it was just one of those things where I just took every opportunity I could to church plays, school plays, you know, a friend was making a, you know, a short film. I was there, like anything that I could do to, to be a part of it because I just really wanted to do it.
1: Was there? Did you develop a process over time to to practice and get ready? Like, was there? I'd love to hear a bit about the creative process that that you sort of developed.
2: Um, it's interesting because I'm not a formally trained actor. Like, I didn't go to sort of post secondary education and get a BFA or anything like that. I've taken a lot of acting class over the years, and will still go to acting class when I have the time um, because it's a it's a good kind of workout for actors to do. Um, my process is a bit haphazard. You know, I've been doing this for 30 years professionally. So I have developed one, believe it or not. And for me, you know, it starts with just reading the script, the whole script. It's, it can be frustrating as an actor, because when you get your audition, you get sides, which are the portion of the script that they want you to read for the audition. And you sometimes don't get the whole script, um, which can be challenging because it's, it's the details in the script that inform you of the character, as it's intended, and my job as an actor is to see what the intention of the character is, how that character fits into the story, and then what I can bring to it, how I identify with that character, the the sort of the common ground that I can find. And this is kind of specific to TV because you don't have a lot of time. Um, I think in film you have a little bit more time to build a character from the ground up, so it's less about how you. Your your quick inroad and in how you identify with the character and how the similarities between the two of you so much as how do I create this character? Um, so for me, it's just a finding the the similarities, the the, the places within the character that I can relate to, um, and how I can bring their intentions to life. So you know, on a on a practical level, the first thing I do is learn the lines. To any actors out there, it never ceases to amaze me. Learn your fucking lines. Like I can't believe there are actors out there that don't believe. I don't know. They just show up on set and they haven't memorized their lines. I don't get it. Know them until you know them backwards and forwards. Because guaranteed, even when you do, you're still going to go up on a line. You're still going to dry. You're still going to screw up. It happens. But you have to know that they're they're there, that you did actually learn them at some point. (laughs) And it's amazing to me the number of actors that don't learn that. But after learning the lines, then I, I sort of see, because then I have the text that's right there for me. That's when I sort of play around to discover what I can about the character. And a lot of that is also informed once you get the job when you're on set and you you get to play with other actors and see, you discover things. That's my favorite part of it, is discovering the, the moments in the script or the moments in the scene once you finally put it on its legs and bring it to life. That can then inform other choices you'll make throughout the filming process.
1: What was your What was your first professional role?
2: I think it was a job. I can't remember if my first professional role. I did. There was a mini series with that based on a bunch of books written by William Shatner called Tech War, shot in Toronto, and yes. um, I was in that. And I can't remember if that was my very first job or my very second job as an actor. Prior to that, I had done a hosting gig on this really fantastically bad um uh video game game show on YTV in canada which is like a youth network or it used to be a youth network called video and arcade top 10 where you literally just watch these kids play nintendo for 20 minutes (laughs) and then narrated so i wasn't even one of the people who got to narrate the the you know the the gaming i i was the entertainment person who would just like hop in and sort of go hey this movie is happening and it was just that really obnoxious, high energy. Hey, I'm talking like this the <laughs> whole time, but it did it did teach me to get comfortable in front of a camera.
1: I think you. Know, I, I remember those shows distinctly, and, and like right? they today would you don't even need them, right? Like you would just go on any kid could go on the internet and watch someone just play well, a game.
2: It, that's basically what Twitch is, isn't yes. it? Yes, like, yes, yes. That's what I thought because I'm like I was so confused. My friend David Blue is an actor who's on uh, Stargate. Atlantis? No, Stargate Universe. And uh, he, he and I were talking when, and he asked me to be on his Twitch channel or something for to watch an episode of Universe. And I'm like, so confused. I'm like, I thought it was just for gaming. And he's like, no, it's for so much more than that. And I'm like, what? All these platforms that I'm just too old to keep up with. I got to be honest.
1: <laughs> oh, I, feel, I feel the same way. I, I am very happy that I figured out Riverside. And right. that's, that'll be it for the year. Like if I do nothing else, they will be I it. know.
2: When you send me this thing, it's like, do you have an external microphone? Do you have this? I'm like, I have AirPods <laughs> and I hope they connect to my computer.
1: <laughs> they sound so great. Uh, but, let me yay. ask, what is the best piece of advice that you ever got? And it doesn't necessarily have to be about acting. It could be, it could be anything in life.
2: It's funny because there are three pieces of advice that I got from my dad. And one, I remember my first sort of series lead, um, I had a very short turnover between when I found out I got the job and when I had to move to London, England to shoot it. And I had a fairly sheltered life in that. I just, you know, I grew up and lived in Toronto and I traveled a little bit, but not a ton. My parents didn't have a ton of money, so we didn't do a lot of traveling. Plus, my father has multiple sclerosis, so traveling with a a person in a wheelchair in the 80s was a really difficult thing to do. So we didn't do a lot of it. And I remember he said to me, he wrote me this lovely letter and in it, he, and he told me to read it on the plane and and in it, he just sort of said, listen, there's one person in the world that you were born with who's there when you're born and there when you die. And that's you. And that's the person that you have to take care of before anyone else. And it it wasn't, my father's a very unselfish man. So it it wasn't his advice to be selfish. It was his advice to remember, to take care of yourself. And then when I was uh, marrying my husband, he had said, uh, he said, Number one, because remember, this is probably very outdated advice, but it's kind of hilarious. He's like, men marry women thinking they'll never change, and women marry men thinking they will. Neither is true. (laughs) Remember that. (laughs) So I think those are the two best pieces of advice that I've ever gotten from my dad. And then a friend of mine, Colin, once said to me, he's like, when you get married, know who you're marrying. That's the person you're going to be with for a very long time, so make sure you know who they are.
1: That's, I think that that's really solid advice. Sage
2: advice. advice. I'll take it.
1: So is there anyone that you've worked with that that you think you'd love to give some more attention to, like maybe not underappreciated, but there's, there's just people that you've worked with who maybe don't get the attention that they deserve that you want to give a shout out to?
2: So many, but you know, the first person that comes to mind is an actor by the name of Tony Amendola. And I worked with him. I had the great joy and pleasure of working with him on Continuum. And I know my husband worked with him on Stargate SG-1. And any actor can tell you that there's always, there's going to be one actor that they've worked with that was just, pardon my language, but so fucking good. And they're not a movie star. They're not Al Pacino. They don't get the attention of Robert De Niro. They don't, you know what I mean? Like, they're not that, but they really should because they are that good. That's Tony Amendola. Like, I, I cannot begin to tell you how incredibly talented that man is. And part of it, I think with him, one of the things that I love about Tony is that he, um, he's so interesting because he's so interested, right? He's so interested when you're talking to him and, um, when he's talking to other people or when he's even talking about a subject, you can tell that he's almost childlike in his interest in it. He's so interested in people in in concepts and ideas. And I think, that that's got to be one of the reasons why he's such an incredibly talented actor.
1: I think he, he, it's just he's pulling in because uh, it, it's a lot like how writers operate, right? Like the writer, right. you know, for a writer, you have to be very, in, you have to be almost like a journalist, yeah, in pulling in all of that information. And it's and it's kind of great because on one end there's just just the bonding with people aspect, mm-hmm. right? Which is which is what we all, should all strive for. But then there's also the other aspect of you know this is all information that I can pull and potentially use.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: in in a role or in a comic book or or just some other property that I'm writing
2: or and sometimes it just sits in the back of your head. It's not even something that you you consciously or obviously use. it just informs your life and changes maybe your world you know shifts your perspective yes. a little bit um and and can help in so many ways like and it it's I find that the most talented people that I meet are far less concerned about producing things that people like. Um, or producing art that people like so much as they're almost compelled to produce something that is, is self-generated comes from within is about their worldview is about their sort of perspective. Let me
1: ask you uh, our oh, last question. If, is there something that I did not ask you that you wish I had?
2: God, no, I, it's so funny. Questions like that are funny to me because they feel a little bit like, when somebody says to me, is there a role that you want to play, right? Because I'm kind of like, I don't know. Like I don't, I don't, I personally as an actor don't really get to know a character until I am playing them. So when somebody says to me, what do you love about this character? Oftentimes you find yourself doing interviews before you've actually had a chance to film anything. And years ago on that TV series that I was doing in England, uh, I worked with an actor, a venerated English actor named Edward Woodward that if you're old enough, you might remember from an 80s TV series called The Equalizer, but he's done so much more than that in England. Um, and I remember sitting, you know, being asked that question and sort of feeling like I needed to answer it. And I'm like, well, I, you know, she seems really capable of blah, 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 blah. And when it got to Edward, Edward says, I can't tell you, I haven't played him yet. I have no idea what I like most about playing this character. I, don't, I haven't played him. And I thought, damn, that's such a correct answer. Like, so you know when you're saying, "Is there a question that I wish you'd ask me?" It's like, mm, not really. I've really just enjoyed the questions that you have asked.
1: <laughs> well, thank you. well, let me ask you real quick. Do you have uh, just what comes to mind? Do you have a favorite role that you've that you've done so far?
2: Favorite role in terms of the character that I got to play, Sonia Valentine on Continuum comes to mind. I really because I was nothing like her. She was a challenge to play, so I I, I enjoyed the challenge of playing her. But a lot of the times I looked at the jobs that I do, because let's face it, I'm an actor in Canada. I'm not making high art, that the, the jobs to me are about the people that I got to work with. And so there, you know, there are some, like even the Aurora Garden Mysteries on Hallmark, not high art, but I really enjoy the people that I get to work with. They're so much fun and we just do nothing but laugh all day long. So that's a ton of fun. Chucky was a fun one. That was really, the, the people were great. And getting to meet Don Mancini is amazing. He's, he's somebody who's a very special person. Um. Yeah. There's just most of the time it's kind of about the people that I got to work with.
1: Now, where can we find you online? Like, I, I know that you, you your Twitter feed is hilarious, and that's <laughs> that's that's how I initially come across you. Like, I guess right. it's so. And you had this, you had this line that was like, "Jordan Peterson is a boil on the ass of white supremacy."
2: He really is. <laughs> He's just a fucking embarrassment as a Canadian. I'm like, oh my god, just dude. And like melting down in public, and it's hilarious to see the people that can't kind of that are like, yay, and it's. I hate to say it, but it's a big kind of like red flag for me when somebody's like that Jordan Peterson guy. I really like him. I'm like, okay, I'm just yeah. taking five steps back and running <laughs> fast.
1: Yeah, no, I but I love I just love the commentary, so I, I recommend people follow you. Odds <laughs> uh, whether I mean, uh, for the past since since BLM since uh, the George right. Floyd protest. Um, right. I've, I've been following your account and so um, following you on Twitter, where, where else could we find you? Like,
2: say like my, my Twitter handle is at Lexa and my Instagram handle is also at Lexa And I'm a bit all over the map in terms of posting on social media. Cause sometimes I feel like it and sometimes I don't. <laughs> um, so, you know, follow me if you want, but follow at your own risk. I mean, just from the standpoint of like, I do get a few, you know, airport departure announcements. Um, when I post stuff, uh, cause I am a little bit opinionated, uh, politically and I'm just warning to anyone who's listening. I'm very left-leaning. So if you're not, and you don't like it, follow at your own risk. I'm just <laughs> saying you don't have to follow. Um, and, uh, I, yeah, I'm not a fan of white supremacy. I think it's pretty shitty. I also think colonization is pretty shitty and yes, black lives absolutely matter. And so do indigenous ones. And so, so do trans lives, so do gay lives, like, it's 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 time we we really uh not just acknowledge this but actually work toward uplifting
1: part of the reason why the show exists i, yes. I just want to get everybody everyone who doesn't normally like yo. Know, there's a there's a whole gamut of people like yourself who have had established roles and have had success and there's people that are just now breaking through and just I, I just wanted something where everyone could come in and answer the same questions and i and love just have it the same chance. so
2: i love
1: it that's why i i appreciate you taking the time to come and join me today on the show
2: it's my pleasure
1: you know i'm pretty i'm pretty upset that the mets are good now
0: why is that Well, because now we can't experience things like when they had a 97 year old pitching coach you mean phil regan yeah that guy who played for the brooklyn dodgers that team hasn't even existed for 65 years Like, do you understand how close we all came to having this super old guy coaching the Mets? Do you understand the kind of comedy gold that could have been, like, right now when we need laughter the most? He probably wouldn't even remember who was on the team. Regan would be in the dugout, chewing tobacco and saying shit like, Send in Willie Mays. And then one of the guys on the bench would be like, Coach, Willie Mays is dead. And then Regan would be like, The hell he is! Get him in there! I don't think Willie Mays is dead. He's not! And I hope Willie Mays lives forever, I really do, but Willie Mays also hasn't played for the Mets since 1973. Anyway, I just want people to understand the potential joy that we're all deprived of now that the Mets are good.
1: Hmm. Well, that's all for this week. If you enjoyed this episode of waywo.tv, you know what you need to do. Rate us, and leave us a review wherever your favorite podcast can be found. That'll help people find this show and hopefully enjoy it as much as you did. You did enjoy the show, right? We're going to assume you did, because you made it to the outro. Most people don't. Be sure to follow BJ on Instagram at BJ Mendelssohn and tell him who you'd like to see interviewed next. You can also text your suggestions to BJ at 646-331-8341. But don't call that number. BJ says he's only going to answer if you're Melissa O'Neill from ABC's The Rookie. Also,
2: only if you're going to ask him out on a date. We'll see you next time, right?